Psalm 51, a prayer of repentance. So open up to Psalm 51. Stand with me for the reading of the word. And the word of our Lord. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in equity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my inequities." Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness." O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or I would give it. You do not uh, delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with the burnt offering and the whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar." And Heavenly Father, open up our hearts tonight, Lord God, to Lord a, a doctrine, Lord God, a truth that needs to be something that we practice in our lives daily, and that is repentance. Father God, I pray that you would just open up our hearts and minds to your word. We sit at your feet, Jesus. We look into your eyes, and we desire to hear your voice. Teach us tonight, Lord God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So uh, essentially, again, we're going to talk about repentance. Now, to understand, an unrepented heart, uh, unconfessed sin, essentially what it does is it corrodes the pipeline between us and God. It erodes it, it it, it clogs it, you know, it, it basically greatly limits our ability to commune with God and to connect with God. So if you're a believer... You know this, right? I mean, if you're a believer and you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know that this is true. That unrepented sin, unconfessed sin, right? It, it basically, it, it, it blocks your connection in prayer. It, it has an effect on your, you know, your worship. It has an effect on your service. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're in church... Well, you've got the Bible open in front of you on a morning and reading it, and you haven't repented before God, and you're dealing with unconfessed sin, you know, it just doesn't feel right. Now, unless you're a sociopath or a psychopath, and by the way, they come to church. You know what, do you understand? They, do, they come to church. I've met many of them through the years, right here. Sociopaths and psychopaths, they hurt people, they do wrong, and they feel no guilt, no remorse. 
There, there's, there's no guilt, no remorse for their actions. And, um, you know, they, they can come to church and they can be lying and cheating and stealing and doing all types of disgusting things. And yet um, they will cover their sins. They will justify their sins. They will lie. It, and, uh, like, again, unless you're one of those people, you will feel a sense of guilt. You will feel a sense of shame when you have unconfessed sin in your life. And that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's just a, a fundamental truth of Scripture and human nature. When we have unconfessed sin and we have an unrepented heart in our life, it's going to affect our connection with God. Listen to a couple of passages. Proverbs fifteen nine: The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. In Psalm 66, verse, 15, uh, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. In Luke chapter 18, 11, the, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector had a repentive heart. God heard his prayer and forgave him of his sin and showed mercy on him. The Pharisee had an unrepented heart. And basically, but notice what it says. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. So God obviously is not hearing him. So when there is no repentance, no confession, right? What you're going to find is, again, there's going to be a, a breach and a lack of connection with God. So the, the idea of repentance, repentance clears the pipeline to God. And being that we do sin as believers. In fact, I, I'll give you something. I think that the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, a true believer and an unbeliever, in the unbeliever's life, sin is the norm. And righteousness is the exception. In a true believer's life, what you have is sin becomes the exception and righteousness becomes the norm. But we still sin and fall short of the glory of God. We still, as believers, have this thing called the sarks. And it's translated the flesh. Okay, the old man, the sinful nature. And it's this kind of this disposition within us of, I mean, of, of selfishness. So, repentance needs to be a part of the Christian lifestyle. Just like eating and drinking and sleeping is a part of your biological lifestyle, so repentance, you know, along with worship and prayer and Bible study and service and witnessing and giving and serving, repentance needs to be a part of your daily walk with God. I have a, a, a time of confession and repentance every day, sometimes more than once a day. So, again, Psalm 51, a prayer of repentance. You will find um, in the Psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are pure prayers of repentance. There are other places in Scripture where you'll find it. In the life of David, you can find it in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. So let's, let's dig into it. Verses 1 and 2. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. Now, I want, you to, I want you to look at the word mercy. Mercy is used twice here, and then you have loving kindness. Mercy is essentially forgiveness that is shown towards people 
who don't deserve it. Okay? They essentially deserve punishment. So David here is crying out for, for mercy. The word loving kindness, chesed, in the, in the Hebrew, it speaks about God's tenderness, his consideration towards another. So a good, a good example of, of the Lord showing mercy would be the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. According to the law, right, what did she deserve? Stoning. She deserved death. Instead, Jesus showed her mercy. She didn't deserve the mercy. Okay? She didn't deserve his forgiveness. But that's what mercy is. It's for those who don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. There was, there was nothing that she did to warrant it. It's, it's, the, it's the undeserved, okay, forgiveness of God. And, and mercy is, is, is another kind of dimension when you get into, you know, God's love. Grace is a dimension. Mercy is a dimension. Compassion is a dimension. Forgiveness is a dimension. The story of the tax collector, okay, and the Pharisee. And it says this, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That should be, again, a, a regular part of our daily life, that we seek God's mercy. It, it is a, a prayer of repentance. And in our prayer of repentance, our focus should always be upon the mercy of God, because there's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness. By the way, let me ask you, I, I, I wanted to insert this, What's the difference between grace and mercy? Anyone have an idea? Yes, grace is, is, God's, is God's unmerited favor, but the, the, the difference between the two, and I'll show you this, grace is when God gives us good things that we don't deserve, and mercy is when he spares us from bad things we do deserve. After what David did, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. David deserved death. Instead, God showed him mercy, and he didn't give him what he truly deserved. So that's the, the and by the way, blessings are when he is generous with both, and he pours out grace and mercy upon us. But praying, again, seeking God's mercy in our repentance. That's the, that, that is fundamental. That's why David, again, he begins with crying out to the mercy of God because there was nothing he could do to absolve him of his sin. There was nothing he could do. Right? He couldn't earn it. couldn't buy it. You know, all the burnt sacrifices, and he says it in this psalm, they're worthless. Now, you can go to church all you want. You can give all the money that you can Right, you can serve and do all kinds of Christian gymnastics, but the only thing that's going to bring you forgiveness is the mercy of God. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's undeserving. He doesn't give us what we deserve. That's mercy. Again, grace is that he gives to us, uh, again, the things we don't deserve. You get that? Okay, verses 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. I want you to notice that. And done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. 
So one thing I want you to see here in verse 2, he says, sin, my sin is always before me. And this is it. If you have unrepented sin in your life, and you know this is true, if you've you've experienced this, it's like a cloud that surrounds your head. You can't get away from it. Until you repent... That cloud is going to stay, you know, around your, your mind. It's going to be in your mind's eye. If you're a believer. So, sin is always before me. And then verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned. So, let's say you sin and you hurt another person. And um, I think we would say, I sinned against you. Or, you know, that person has basically become a victim. But ultimately, when you sin, you have basically sinned against God. You've sinned against, you've sinned against him. So, notice what Joseph says in, in Genesis 39.9. He says, when he's being tempted by Potiphar's wife, he says... He, being Potiphar, is not, is not greater in this house than I am, uh, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. I mean, he gave Joseph total power because you were his wife. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness? And notice, not sin against Potiphar, but sin against God. So if a person commits a crime and they steal from you or maybe they attack you. I mean, there's a lot of that going on in our country right now, people just brutally attacking other people. So essentially, they've, they've hurt you, you've become a victim, but they have broken, essentially, the law. Let's say this, they've broken the law of the state, murder, rape, um, violence, you know, theft. Who punishes them? Now, I know you'd like to punish them. I would. Right? I got to dis- you want to pray for me about some things, pray about that. Because, man, when somebody hits me or hits somebody I love, man, my whole thing is I'm going to go back and I'll hit you. I'm going to hit you ten times. I'm forget about an eye for an eye. I'm, I'm going to take it all. Take your head, take your body. So just pray for me for that. I don't know if some of you uh, men here, you, you probably feel the same way, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, but essentially, who punishes them? The state. The, the, the sin is against the state. And when a person essentially breaks God's law, right, they could hurt someone else, but essentially they are sinning against God. And David clearly understood that. Sin is breaking the law of God. Sin is sinning against God. He is the one who's going to judge them. He is the one who's ultimately going to hold them accountable. So when we sin, we sin against God. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in inequity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. What is he talking about there? Talking about original sin. When Adam sinned, right, that sin has been passed on to us. And as human beings, we are born in a sinful state. We carry with us this sinful disposition. Some people describe it as selfishness, a bent towards sin, a bent towards evil. This built-in urge to disobey God, and you can see it in the you can see it in the young children. Your young children, do they ever just rebel against you? 
So when my grandson, when he was like two years old, we're watching a cartoon, and um, all of a sudden this other cartoon came on that his mother did not want him to watch, and this is what he did. He looked at me, he looked around, and then he said, Mom's not here. (laughs) This is like little kid. That little sinful nature right, right, right there. Now, the sociologists, how do they explain the evil in people? Well, they try to explain it away. So the, the sociologists, if you've, if you've been in a sociologist class, they will basically teach that the reason people are evil is economics. So if you, if you raise people out of poor economics they'll stop being evil. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you something. I think there's, a, there's enough rich people across New Jersey, right, who have done horrible things to fill railway State Prison. Right? If that was true, right, look at Bernie Madoff, right? He made off with everybody's money. But, I mean, if it was economic. So they try to, another one, that, another way they try to explain away the evil in human beings is it's education. If you educate people enough, give them an education, we can educate them out of their evil. And again, there are enough highly educated people who have committed horrible crimes, right, to fill the state prison. Another way that people will explain it away is it's the social environment. If you create a really wonderful social environment, this is where we get into socialism and Karl Marx, this thing that's permeating America right now, that we somehow can create this socialistic utopia like Venezuela. Right? Did it happen there? Or Cuba? Or the Soviet Union? Or China? That we can create this social environment, this social utopia, and then suddenly people will not commit evil. Those are the the three major ways that the sociologists have tried to explain the sinful nature. The Bible says, no, it's original sin. And it is something that we are basically being passed on from us, from Adam, through the generations. And it is, again, is this disposition towards evil. The only way it can be overcome is what? Through the blood of the Lamb. Through salvation through Jesus Christ. So, In verse 6, he says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. I want you to to look at the the first phrase. God desires us to be truthful. So a lot of times we look at this truth in the inward parts. He wants me to tell the truth. Okay, he wants me to, to be honest. But don't go a little deeper than that. I think what the passage is talking about is talking about being essentially transparent. Remember the the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee was hiding from God. He's hiding behind his pride. He's hiding behind his hypocrisy. He's hiding behind his religiosity. And the tax collector came before God and was just totally transparent. And he was confessing his sins to the Lord. True repentance is coming clean with God. True repentance is removing the fig leaves, the facades, and stepping out of the darkness into the light. And that's, that's one of the key things. Man likes to hide, right, himself with fig leaves. 
And he will hide his guilt. He will hide his shame. He will hide it from other people. And it's really dangerous when a person hides it from God. So David here is saying God desires us to be treated. God desires us to come before him and to step into the light. And not to be hiding our sins from him. To be able to just stand there and let allow his light to shine on us. And it's going to expose our warts and our zits and our scars and everything else. So look at what Jesus said in, in John three, nineteen through 21. And this is condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And I want you to notice the word exposed. That's the key word. To, to be transparent before God, to be honest, to be truthful in the inward parts is to come and to expose ourselves before God. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. The unrepentive person does not want to be exposed. By the light. What do they do? They lie. They con. They hide. They have facades. They're, they're, you know, they've got fig leaves on. But when we come into the light, that is where, again, where God can truly show us mercy and grace and forgive us of our sins. That's key. We have to remove the fig leaves. Verses 7 through 9. Purge me with high sop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And then he says here, Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Now you get a picture here of, of the consequences of unrepented sin. Unrepented sin robs us of joy. It robs us of gladness. And notice here, he says, The bones you have broken, it, it essentially it rots our bodies. And there's, there's research that, that shows that people with unrepented sin and they, you know, negative attitudes, bitterness, anger, you know, rage, uh, guilt, shame, that it actually causes illness to the bones, to the organs, to the body, to the nervous system. In Psalm 32, verses 3 through 4, when I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought for summer. You're carrying around that guilt, right? You're dealing, you're dealing with that, that unrepented sin and that guilt. It zaps you of your strength. It zaps you of your vitality. It zaps you of your, you know, of your energy. It is very freeing, liberating, and pleasant to repent and receive God's forgiveness, love, and grace. It, it, is, it is healing to the bones. Healing to the bones. When James writes about if someone is sick, let him call the elders of the church to lay hands on them. What does he say that they need to do? And if there is any sin that they need to confess, they need to confess their sins because that unconfessed sin could be causing the illness. It's not the only cause of illness, but it could be causing the illness. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's something people say, well, you need to go and pray for this person. No, the person needs to call us to go and pray for them. That's it. They, need to, they need to be in a place where they're seeking the laying of the hands of the elders 
And that if they have, if, if they have, and not necessarily always do, they have something in their life they need to confess that's related to the illness, then God will heal them. But that's a, 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 a foundation that, you know, that's laid down there. I want to show you again this, this concept of how repentance, though, it, it brings health, it brings joy. In the story of the prodigal son, okay, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 15, verse 20 through 24. It says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Beautiful picture of the father's love for us. And the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Notice again, the sin is against God. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him. The robe, a picture of covering his guilt. And then he says, and put a ring on his hand. All right? That's the ring of sonship. He's brought back into the family. And then he says, sandals on his feet. The sandals, the, feet, the, the shoes of peace. He's now at peace with his father. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us, notice now he says, eat and be merry, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make what? Make ofrano, the ofrano, merry, joy, intense joy and gladness. That's what true repentance does. It leads us back to a place where we're merry. If, if, again, you're living with unrepented sin, unconfessed sin, again, it's, it's robbing you of the joy of the Lord and from being merry. Verses 10 and 11. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So I want you to see something here. True repentance is not just seeking forgiveness. It's not just seeking pardon or not just seeking justification. So what David is saying here, he's not only saying, I'm sorry for sinning against you. Forgive me of my sins. What he says here, cleanse me. Do you understand what he's saying here? It's, it's, it's not just forgive me. He's talking here about sanctification. Now, make me holy that I don't sin against you anymore. Change me. Change, go, go deeply to the, to the very root of my issues and change me and make me different. And I think there's, there's something wonderful about when you come to a place of repentance like that, you walk away with this resolve, with this commitment to live differently, to be different. The woman caught in adultery, he forgives her. And then what did he say to her? Now go and sin no more. You see him say that to a number of people, even people that he healed. Go and now sin no more so that something worse doesn't happen to you, to the man that he healed, I believe by the pool of Siloam. Verses 12 and 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Unrepented sin robs us of spiritual power to witness, to teach, to preach, to lead people to Christ. It, essentially, it destroys our witness. He says here, then I will teach. Unrepented sin keeps us from having that essential power of God to be able to communicate the truths of God in, into other people's lives. i tell you something. Just I see, and I've seen through the years... Men, who I believe God had a calling on, 
to preach the word, to pastor. And they had stuff in their life. Some of them were honest to come and, and talk with me. I think some hid it. And I sometimes wonder, what, you know, what happened to that guy? And all of a sudden, what happened was the, the years passed, and I think they, they didn't overcome those things, and God never used them. But, you know, if you're going to teach the word, and I'll tell you, whether it's to the children in a Bible study, you need to keep the pipeline clean. Because we will fall short. You need to keep the pipeline clean. In um, verse 14 and 15, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud to your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. True repentance will bring us to a place of praise. When we worship, when you, when you, again, when you're, you're, you're right with God, and when you're right with God, it's just, it's, you praise him and you, you give thanks to him and you sing songs of praise to him. When you're in an unrepented state, right, you're living under that conviction. It's hard to worship God. You know, you could be, you could be going, you know, people go through the motions. I mean, you know, but you're not meeting God. And repentance brings us to a place where we can really commune with God. Verse 16 and 17. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So the, the idea, when you are in an unrepented state, in the case of David... He could have offered all the bulls and goats in the, uh, in the nation of Israel. But it's, it's a broken and contrite heart that God is concerned with. For us, look, you could go to church. You could give your tithes. You can give your offerings. You might be serving in some area. You can be doing all those things. But if you are in an unrepented state with unconfessed sin, again, it's meaningless to God. He wants to get to the root of the problem. You're just, you're just going through religious motions, religious gymnastics. God is concerned. God is concerned with what? He's concerned with our, our hearts. The sacrifices of God are a broken, and con- a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These he will never despise. What is a, what is a broken and contrite heart? It's, it's a heart that's broken over one's sins. It's a humble heart. I want to read, I want to, read to you a quote I don't know who wrote this, but I had it um, in my notes on Psalm chapter 51. I didn't write it. And um, just listen to this. It says, as long as we try to justify, excuse, or rationalize the evil of our own hearts, we never find our way back to God's presence. Repentance is the doorway to freedom. Satan knows this and does everything he can to detract us from it. He suggests things that our selfish nature likes to hear. But listen to him. Maybe you've heard these things. I have. Your sin wasn't that bad. Compared to others, you're okay. God has forgotten it already. No need to confess it. And when we listen to the devil's oily words, we veer away from the doorway to freedom and remain in bondage. 
You could be going through, again, all the religious motions, fooling yourself and thinking, well, I, you know, I go to church and I do this, I do that. You know, there, was a, there was a woman who uh, she ran abortion mills down in Texas. And um, it was something outrageous, too. She was responsible in her business for, I think, about 80,000 abortions. And she gave her life to the Lord. And I had the, the privilege of um, driving with her. Actually, Chris Marr, who was the head of Life Advocates, and I picked her up in the airport because she was our speaker at the uh, Life Advocates dinner. So we were driving from Newark Airport to Wayne, to Wayne Manor, where we had the dinner. And she was sharing things with us. But she said that she was raised in a Christian, a, a Baptist home down in Texas. And um, she, when she got into the abortion business, she would still tithe to the church and go to church. And um, it wasn't until she repented, accepted Jesus Christ into her heart as the Lord and Savior, that she, she basically closed them. She didn't sell them. She closed them. I think she was making like $80,000, uh, 87000 I think she said, a month in profit running these businesses. But she, when, when, when again, the, the Spirit convicted her that it's then that she repented and she received, you know, the Lord's, you know, the Lord's grace and the Lord's mercy into her life and his forgiveness. And now she's on a, you know, she's a, really an evangelist and a, and a pro-life speaker. And I forget her name, but she can be found on, online. And um, so you don't remember her name, do you? But uh, just a, you know, a, a wonderful guy, you know, guy. But she, she shared how basically sitting in church, again, how the devil was basically just telling her, she, hey, you're giving your tithe, you're fine. You go to church, you're fine. You sing the songs, you're fine. While she is doing this, this horrible thing, but that's what the devil does. And he will, he will come and he will, you know, he will give you excuses. He will help you to justify your sins. He will do everything he can to keep you from coming to a place of true repentance and confession because he don't want you, right, in that place of connecting with God. So our, our wrap-up on Psalm 51, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to have a broken and contrite heart. You know, when he, when he said, blessed are these are people, when he's saying being poor in spirit, we're supposed to be rich in the Holy Spirit, but to be poor in our spirit of realizing that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and sometimes we still continue to sin, and not denying it, not covering it up, and not hiding from it, and not building facades around it, but living with that realization that we are fallen beings, and until we die and we're glorified, we're going to still be dealing with this stuff. So a, a, a poverty of spirit is realizing my poverty and my need for his riches. And notice what he says, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because without being poor in spirit, you cannot receive the kingdom of heaven, which is the dominion of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God in Romans chapter 14, 17, right? It's, it's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, but it's the manifestation of the Spirit in your life, and, and it comes to us, again, when we're poor in spirit, in the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts. By the way, th this wasn't 
a, a one time, and I get people saying, oh, yeah, you know what? I received Jesus 30 years ago, and I repented. I received Jesus 40 years ago, and I've repented every day. And I've repented because I know that if I don't, the pipeline will get clogged. And you want to keep that pipe clear, a clear pipeline to God. That's Psalm 51. Every psalm has a specific purpose. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are psalms of repentance. And repentance, again, just like worship and praise, meeting together in fellowship, studying the word of God, witnessing, giving, serving. Repentance should be a component of our lives. I take time each morning. I've said this to you before. I do the ACTS program, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And when I come to confession, I stop and look just very carefully and sometimes ask the Lord, Lord, now you need to search me. God, it was on, my kids were, were here with us on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we had, um, you know, Rachel was with us with the kids and uh, Frankie and Mariah came with Charlotte. We had a wonderful three days, a peaceful three days, you know, just with the, you know, with the, the family. I did a funeral on on, on you know, uh, on, on uh, Saturday. But it was a w- wonderful day. So I, I was like kind of looking and I was thinking on Monday morning when I got with the Lord, I was saying, boy, just, there wasn't much to confess. Didn't have really any moments. And, um, you know, my thought life and I really was, was kind of rejoicing in the Lord a lot more than, you know, without maybe stress and everything going on. And that's great. But I still asked him to just kind of say, and I said, you know, Lord, though I really haven't committed, you know, overt sins or had bad thoughts or angry thoughts, I have to say, though, Lord, as I'm looking over these days, I had times where I definitely could have been drawing closer to you and I wasn't. There were times when I maybe could have been more thankful to you and I wasn't. And I just was confessing that to God. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And on my best of my best days, I'm still falling short of his glory. What's his glory? Jesus. I have never lived a day in my life that can compare to one day that Jesus has lived. So, got to keep the pipeline clear. Got to keep it clear. And repentance and confession are the way that we do that. Amen? Let's bow our heads, we'll close. I pray, Lord God, that this lesson would just be, Lord, imprinted on all our hearts. It's helped me, Lord God, in these last days to draw closer to you. I've got, a, Lord, got a, a deeper conviction in me about repentance and confession. I pray, Father God, that all here, all watching, wherever they may be, would have the same. I pray, Lord God, that we walk in repentance every day. And that pipeline, Lord God, to you would always be open to experience your love, your mercy, your grace, your presence. Pipeline, Lord God, where, Lord, your power and your wisdom and your understanding, your revelations are ever flowing into our life. May we just work, Lord God, diligently to keep the pipeline clean and clear so that you could be flowing into our lives in all your grace, mercy, and power. 
And in Jesus' name we pray this, amen.